0: such a significant portion of our employee base is excited to be on this journey. But that number one obstacle right out of the gates, if you would have asked me on that day, if I thought we would be where we are today, I would have said, gosh, I don't know.
1: Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. If this is your first time joining us, we just want to welcome you to the Kelly family. Here on our show, you will find a bevy of resources from top faculty within our school to leading industry uh, professionals sharing their secrets of success. So, So be sure to check out a bunch of the episodes to find something specific that meets you. And for all of those who have been with us for a while, we just want to say welcome back. Thank you so much for spending your time with us here on the show. If you have any questions you're wrestling with as an organizational leader, if you're looking for some faculty expertise on a specific topic, or you simply know of a guest that would make a great person uh, to interview on our show, send us an email to pod. that's roipod at iupui.edu. Well, with it being toward the end of the year, it is that time again when the indie stars, top places to work surveys, getting ready to go out. And it's an exciting time for many organizations, especially if you're an organization that has a really rough stigma coming into you know the workforce. On today's episode, we are sitting down with Adam Krupp, Commissioner of the Indiana Department of Revenue, who helped build the Indiana Department of Revenue's culture so much so that they made the 2019 top places to work according to the Indianapolis Star. Adam, just want to welcome you to the podcast,
0: and congratulations on such a huge success. Thank you very much. It is an honor to be here, so uh, I really appreciate you having me. Uh, As someone who grew up in Indiana, is part of the Indiana University Education Network as well, um, I feel very privileged to be a part of this, and yeah, you you got right to the punchline uh, with the top workplaces survey results um, for the Indiana Department of Revenue, which i love to talk about. It's something truly special. Uh, it's something that literally had never happened before for any state government agency. So we were proud to be first. Uh, if you if you think about where we were before to where we are now in terms of being on that list of top fifteen large organizations. Uh, from the Indie Star Top Workplaces Survey, it is the complete turnaround and transformation of a government agency. Some might say it's a worst-to-first scenario. Sure. So let's go back to this to this journey. So
1: you you have a place like the Department of Revenue. Almost seems like it's a place you go in like exile. You know, if you do something bad in state, well, we're going to send you to Department of Revenue. I mean, it just has that stigma, and yet you have now taken this this organization or this part of the state government and made it a place where people now want to be a part of. So how did this begin? Take us back to the beginning of where you got into this position to be able to even have this vision for making the top place to work.
0: Well, I I can personally take us back to my own career and my journey, not just as a a professional um, and as a student of organizational leadership and culture who ultimately someday wanted the opportunity to do something like this. So in my career after leaving um, Indiana University's McKinney School of Law, I went to New York City to practice in two large corporate law firms as a litigator. And um, if you know anything about large New York City law firms, uh, they don't necessarily pride themselves on a, a positive, healthy culture. It's all it's very business driven. It's about, you know, uh, profits per partner and and doing uh, a great service and justice for their clients. I mean, it's a very business driven focused. Um, and the culture just kind of is an afterthought. So I am of the belief that culture drives everything, and I think that's the necessary foundation. So um, I wanted the real opportunity someday to to build a culture that could then allow the employees to thrive on the values and the mission and the vision and the purpose of the organization and why you exist. So government, uh, I've always had this draw to government. I've come back to Indiana a couple of times throughout my career. Uh, I would like to say now I'm here for good. Um, And the opportunity in government is really, you know, you can make it what you want. Uh, Ultimately, we all have the same purpose, which is to serve the citizens of our state. So being a purpose-driven organization, that, that stuff should come easy in terms of knowing why we're here. Now, I will be the first to admit that a lot of government agencies uh, sometimes forget that, and I think I've, I've been a part of some of those, but um, working through uh, my prior government agencies, seeing how state employees work, how they operate, but importantly, how they're perceived um, from the outside And then once you're inside that network and that fraternity, if you will, uh, there's a passion within you, not just to serve the citizens of the state and to deliver great government service, as Governor Holcomb says, but also to do something about it in terms of perception. So folks on the outside know how hard we work, uh, what we do every day, and why we do it. So after being at Indiana's Bureau of Motor Vehicles as the general counsel, um, prior to this job, again, I was, I was quote unquote, just the lawyer uh, for the organization. But I was put in a, a place where I had an opportunity to help um, with a small group of five or six of us who were the quote unquote executive management team to really uh, build something uh, because that organization was taking some beatings publicly. Uh, we were struggling; the morale of the employee base, which is over a thousand. Um, was not great. It was not what you want, not what any leader would want to see or walk into. So in in terms of fixing public perception at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, we also saw an opportunity to fix the culture of the organization because we thought, you know, if you have happy, smiling employees who enjoy what they do and are mission-driven and believe in the purpose of why they're there, that will show to customers and to citizens you interact with. So we had an opportunity to do that, and uh, next thing you know, there's an election, we have a new governor, and the opportunity is presented to me to be at the Indiana Department of Revenue. And as you had sort of led things off and uh, segued into this particular question, yes, there is a, there's a tough stigma out there uh, with the Department of Revenue. I think the IRS probably suffers the same fate because we often find ourselves in what is otherwise an adversarial position with folks at the beginning. Um, But that doesn't mean we're heavy handed. It doesn't mean we're mean. It doesn't mean we're bad people. um, But fighting that perception is a challenge. So from day one, uh, I knew, I knew this was going to be a special time for the organization and I put together a leadership team and we all sat down together and said, look, we all know what we do as an organization we know what we don't like about it because we mostly came from the outside. Um, these are folks who either came from the private sector or other agencies. And we came together and said, look, we have an opportunity to do something really special, which is to build a culture that we want and to you know streamline processes and update operations and introduce new technology. That's all great. But we've got 700 employees that are now looking at us for some guidance and inspiration. And for me, as I've I've told my team of, of leaders here at the organization, the number one objective and primary goal of a leader for an organization is to inspire other people to be the best version of themselves. So at the Department of Revenue, I view that as my job every day is to inspire everyone. Call center, returns processing, people who are opening mail and imaging, people who are on the phones doing audits, you name it. Um, my, my number one job is to inspire them to be the best version of themselves and to deliver great government service. And so building a new culture is how we are doing that.
1: So let's go back to, you know, sort of the beginning, once you have this vision, you get here, you know, in our conversation over the phone, you know, you, you were telling me that you wanted the big, biggest challenge available, you know, where could be the place for Particular growth. And for those listening, uh, you know, that was where you kind of said, put me in the hardest place and the hardest time to change. So, talking to, you know, an organizational leader, let's say, you know, they, you get those people who've been there 20, 30 years, as I'm sure you have here, especially in the government, you know, agencies, they're, they're good at their job, they know what to do, they're set in a routine, but they're not willing to change. You know, and with, I mean, with changing culture, I mean, everything's got to change. You know, you got to get down to people's belief systems prior to even beginning change. So how did you start taking that first step, uh, you know, as if you were speaking to a person who's got those stubborn people on their team that wants to make that shift? How do you start getting that buy-in from those who have been here and just, just do it and you're stuck in their own like routine of day to day?
0: That's a great question, and and let me just go back to my uh, first week on the job. So, uh, one thing this organization had never done, um, which I believe is critical and necessary, is bring every single employee together. So, we have an auditorium here on campus at the Government uh, Center Campus here in Indianapolis, and that auditorium seats 350 people. Now, we have more than 350 people, but um, with technology today, you can also live stream a meeting. Uh, you could also record it. So we brought everyone. It was a packed house. There were people standing in the back basically to introduce myself as the new commissioner for the Department of Revenue. I mean, that's just so critical to be seen and to be heard. I wanted people to hear who I am straight from me uh, and what are my words and how do I choose to introduce myself? Uh, One of the things I've learned on my leadership journey is that when you are new to the role how you choose to introduce yourself and invite everybody to go on the journey with you is critical uh, rather than let them uh, not see you, not hear from you directly, inform their own opinions and maybe based on what they'd heard about you previously or even what they've read about you um, can really change things and change the conversation. So we got in that auditorium and I introduced myself and uh, of course I had a couple hundred people who have been here a very long time who were looking at me like, who is this guy? Uh, he's a lot younger than me (laughs) because, you know, I'm, when I started in the role, I was, I was still in my thirties and most of our employees have been here 25 or more years. Um, so that's a challenge from the get go, but, um, so it wasn't exactly like, and this is a message I think that'll come, hopefully come out through the course of this conversation is it's never going to happen right away. Um, and getting folks who have been around the organization for a long time that might be, you know, st- stuck in their ways or not as open to change, that takes time. It takes an incredible amount of energy and passion. Um, and, and if you expect that to turn around and happen overnight or even in the first quarter, you know, three months in, it's just not going to happen. So after introducing myself and, and allowing people to hear from me directly and see me I mean, eyeball leadership is critical, and I'm a firm believer in that. You've got to be seen and be out there as much as possible. Um, really, what we did to to start getting that buy-in is we completely rewrote the mission for the organization. Okay, we had a mission statement for the Department of Revenue. Uh, it was a probably a full paragraph long. You you couldn't say it without taking a breath, and honestly, nobody knew what it was, and that's. That's not uh, the purpose of a mission statement, right? You want all of your employees to know it. I mean, it's not a memorization test, but you want them to understand the concepts within it. You want them to know it, at least be able to recognize it so that if they hear it, they go, oh yeah, of course. Or maybe they're even able to talk about it to others. So we rewrote the mission statement for the organization in in those first couple of months. And what I like to tell people is, you know, forget what it used to say. And you know what it says now. I said the the critical component of that mission statement is the first three words. The first three words used to say um, to collect revenue. Okay, Uh, and to me, that drives behavior. So I have 700 employees, and if the mission, let's let's assume they all know the mission. Okay, if their mission is to go collect revenue. That is our statutory purpose. I mean, that's why, you know, in many cases we exist operationally, but that drives behavior. And if you've got 150 auditors, you've got people in payment services that are trying to collect on bad debt or old, you know, liabilities, it might drive behavior to be the type of behavior that you're not proud of and that you don't think represents the state of Indiana as a public servant which over time can certainly build that reputation and that perception that that we've talked about. So we rewrote the mission statement. Very simple. It's one sentence. And it starts, instead of to collect revenue, those first three words are to serve Indiana. So if you think about what does that say to 700 people that now work for this organization, I'm not just here to collect revenue. I'm here to serve the state of Indiana and all of our citizens. So that was step one. Let's rewrite that mission statement.
1: And I know it's important, you know, as we've talked about culture and a lot of our, uh, you know, listeners are starting to understand and have understand is that just like you said it does not happen overnight like that one speech of you getting introduced is not going to instantly change the entire landscape and the environment in which people operate like it is going to take you know blood sweat and tears to to go against a lot of attitudes so talk to talk to me you know as you're rolling out this new mission statement as you're you're new and fresh in this department what were some of the most important things as you look back Uh, in the first few months that you had to embody or that you had to be aware of in order to make sure that this culture movement um, was kind of in check and and actually happening?
0: So in addition to the mission statement, which I I think this is important, we also created and drafted a vision for the organization, um, which is to be recognized as the premier tax administrator in the nation, but also as a great place to work. Okay. And, and you've got to, you have to walk that walk. You can't just put, it's not lip service. You can't put it on a poster. We also came up with core values for the organization. We did not have core values before and many organizations have core values. I always want to say to the leader of that organization, how many of your employees know what those core values are? So if you're not distributing them on a pamphlet or putting it on a poster in the wall, um, to take those away, how many of your employees truly adhere to them, embody them, and feel like that's part of the day-to-day operations of the organization? And so when we put together our core values, I'll just tell you something that people have looked at me and said, you know, that's kind of odd, um, but we wanted it to to be in there. One of our core values is fun. Okay, It's a government agency. I mean, we have leadership, integrity, respect, teamwork, service, continuous improvement, and we also have fun. That is a core value. I I feel like I'm an extrovert, so that's part of my personality. Some of the leaders on my team that I brought in are also extroverts, and they're very positive. Uh, They like to spread good uh, positivity throughout the organization, but we also have a lot of fun. And believe it or not, for the Department of Revenue in Indiana, we have a lot of fun here. Um, So I just, I'm who I am. Uh, Authenticity is huge. So from the beginning, in terms of embodying the mission and those core values and being just who I am, and I want all of our staff to know, oh, I know Adam and I believe this is who he is because he actually walks the walk and doesn't just put core values on a poster. Um, You know, we talk about it regularly. So whenever I have an opportunity to be in front of staff, and if it's the whole organization— um, I uh, talking about that first meeting I had where I introduced myself. We do that every quarter, actually. We get the staff in the auditorium, and we talk about our mission. We talk about our vision, and we talk about what have we done in the last few months that, you know, support that mission. What are some examples that are concrete examples of how have we furthered uh, the organization toward that ultimate vision of being recognized as a great place to work? And then let's talk about core values. So, you know, today and even shortly after we introduced them, if, I, if I'm walking in the hallway and I say, well, hey, let's, let's remember why we did that because that's one of our core values, um, our employees know those core values and they recognize them. I would never do this, but if I quizzed all of my staff... Um, You know, a lot of organizations and even the ones that I've worked in before, if I quizzed my staff on the mission statement and even our core values, I I think the success rate would be pretty low. I think it would be shocking, actually, Um, and there's probably a lot of leaders out there that might not want to admit that, but here at the Department of Revenue, where we are today, I believe we're well over 50% can recite the mission and even talk about all the core values that we have at the organization, so that in and of itself... Um, and that in and of itself has really led us to build this culture that we have, but also create that sense of, you know, Adam has a mission, a vision, and as an organization, we have these core values. And, and I believe that they're genuine because he lives and breathes those every day. When I make a decision that impacts, not just everybody in the organization or a particular business unit. Or in a one-on-one conversation with an individual, uh, maybe it's a fierce conversation. It's a it's a personnel issue, or if it's just an administrative change, every conversation ties back to a core value. Okay, so that tells people that they're very real and that we're genuine when we say, you know, we're promoting core values. It's it's because they actually drive every decision that we make. Sometimes it's a combination of one of you know the seven. Um, sometimes it's just one. But when you incorporate those values as part of the vernacular and the conversation with your decisions from leadership, they really take hold. And I tell you, there's, there's nothing more inspiring to me that brings a really big smile to my face when employees, maybe they've been here 30 years, uh, tell me they needed to feel motivated and they were looking for something to inspire them, to remind them why they went into government service, aside from just a paycheck and paying the bills. And we have done that for them in the last two and a half years. Okay, they're, they're excited about telling me the mission of the organization. It's like a, have had people stop me in the hall or in passing and say, hey, ask me what the mission is because I can tell you. And then they say it word for word and they're happy and they're proud to be able to do that. I mean, these are public servants, people that have probably over the course of their career, taken some beatings publicly, right? At least, you know, it's like, wow, you work at the Department of Revenue, I'm sorry. Okay, and now they're proud to say they work here. The number of people we have that wear shirts with like the company logo on them, which I know is obviously a big popular thing everywhere. You're you're proud of your brand. Well, we've built a brand here that we're proud of. Um, And I've had other organizational leaders in state government come up to me and say, I see your people everywhere. And they mean because they see a polo shirt or a long-sleeve shirt when the weather's cooler like it is today. And, and it's got the, the seal of the Department of Revenue proudly displayed on their shirt. And I tell you, we introduced that in the last couple of years, right? We've, we've made that available to them. Uh, I'm not sure many people would have wanted to wear those shirts um, a handful of years ago when the Department of Revenue had the reputation that it did. And now that we've been able to change that, And change the conversation about who we are and what we do, people like telling the story of where they work and why they do what they do.
1: And I think one thing that we we need to really focus in on is how simple yet true, you know, because a lot of it is to have, you know, a mission statement, a vision and core values. You know, it's something you all, you, the basic things you learn in, in business school, you take any business course, you know, they say, you know, have a mission, have your values, you know, where you're going, your vision all boiled down. And I think a lot of organizations just do it because it checks box that in order to have a company, you have this, it's just
0: part of the, part of just the check, check, check. Okay. Completely. Got it. Completely. And that's, that's where I think you set yourself up for failure because it's just as important as the operation if the profits in the uh, the for-profit business space, um, the technology that you introduce, I mean, it, it's the foundation of the organization. And at the end of the day, some of the most successful businesses at one point in time that ultimately failed, they fall into bankruptcy. If you read the books about the people that used to run those companies, somewhere in that book is going to be mention of the fact that you know we forgot our mission or we forgot our core purpose and values. And if you go back to those, that's where we failed. And you can see that pivot point happen. You know, that that is the moment where you could feel
1: the culture shift. You can feel business uh, practices dropping. You can see turnover, you know, increasing at a higher rate, you know, because it always comes back to what do you believe? What does the organization stand for? And how can I, as a person, a part of this culture and in this organization, make help That'll do it for this week's episode. Be sure to tune in next week as we wrap up this two part series on how to create a winning organizational culture. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.